0: Choke Points, brought to you by Acton's Quality Roofing. Legislature is discussing uh, a number of uh, transportation matters, jaywalking, eliminating the free right turn at certain intersections. And now you can add new requirements uh, 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 at roundabouts into this. What's going on with the roundabouts?
1: Well, let me start by asking you a question, Dave. Do you signal... When you're exiting the roundabout, uh, you, I, I signal anytime I change lane. Anytime, good because that's that, that's the law. You're supposed yeah. to signal within 100 feet of whenever you're going to be making turn. But uh, there's a new bill in Olympia that would actually require to use your turn signal and codify it towards roundabouts 100 feet before making your exit. Uh, considering that a lot of Washington drivers still don't know how to actually drive in a roundabout, I'm not sure how adding a new regulation will make anything better. But here's what they're trying to do. Scott Jensen is a driving instructor in Olympia. He testified in favor of this bill, and he believes that making sure people signal as they exit will make roundabouts safer. When we use our signals
2: uh, when exiting roundabouts, again, it communicates to other drivers our intentions, and it allows drivers to enter the roundabout and continue through the roundabout at a more rapid pace as they were designed.
1: Now, of course, I'm for anything that would make our roads safer, but I'm not sure requiring a turn signal 100 feet before exiting a roundabout can even happen. Yeah. Is there even 100 feet between those turns? You'd be driving around with your signal on the whole time and nobody would have any idea what you're doing. Matter of fact, I drove the the roundabout in Bickford Road at uh, Snohomish over the weekend. It's one of the newer ones up there. Certainly not enough room for 100 feet there. Uh, Representative Ed Orcutt raised the issue during the hearing. Current
3: law says you have to signal 100 feet before you turn. What would be the standard in a roundabout? Because... There are many roundabouts where the turns are within 100 feet of each other. So would it be after you pass
4: a turn prior to the next one that you would start to signal?
3: I believe
5: that is correct.
1: Oh, so obviously a little bit confusing there. The penalty for failing to use your signal when exiting would be $139. Here's driving instructor Greg Signippy.
2: This isn't about making uh, driving, you know, more difficult or, um, or about so much enforcing it. It's about Educating Um, people—it's about establishing a standard for leaving roundabouts.
1: And again, I think that's a good thing, so everybody knows exactly what the other driver is going to be doing. And of course, current law says you're supposed to use your signal anyway. Uh, And I believe everybody should use their signals when exiting a roundabout. But I'm not sure we need a new law, especially one that comes with a fine. What we need is better education and better driver behavior. So let's go over the basics again. Uh, Let's use this law as a a, bill as a jumping-off point. Cars are already in a roundabout, always have the right of way. You must yield to those vehicles before entering a roundabout. Do not stop in the roundabout, even to let somebody in. That's not how they work. Single-lane roundabouts shouldn't be too difficult to navigate with these simple rules. There aren't very many options. However, double-lane roundabouts have some challenges, and those are going in in a lot of new places. And as it was brought up in this hearing, a lot of us took driver's ed before roundabouts were a thing here in the U.S. And so there's some obvious things that you don't necessarily think about about uh, you must enter with the roundabout in the lane that you need to use to exit. So in other words, if you're taking a left around the roundabout in a two-laner, you better be in the left hand of the two lanes going into the roundabout. If you're in the right lane, you're going to have to cut off traffic. So you got to know on a on the on the front end where you're going, and you have to follow the lane markers, the signs. They're all well posted, but that requires you to think ahead and pay attention. Never change lanes in the middle of a multi-lane roundabout. It's just dangerous. And now, well, not in the driver's manual because I just picked. Picked up some new ones uh, and spread them around the newsroom on Friday. I would also recommend giving trucks a very wide berth oh, yeah. in a double roundabout. Most semis will take up more than one lane while going through. Letting the semi go through solo would be the most likely, the safest move. And this is one of the things I hear from my truck drivers all the time. This is a
6: huge
1: problem at the new roundabout at Wapato Way in Tacoma coming out of the port of Tacoma. The trucks are coming through. They're kind of using both lanes or up on the median there on the left. Cars are around that we have a lot of crashes at that particular new roundabout as people are trying to figure this thing out uh, and again, let the trucks go. You're going to lose that battle if if they're taking up more than one lane. So what was that roundabout designed for trucks? Yes, it was. Oh, it was okay. designed specifically for that. But they, they may not have realized uh, that cars are going to be trying to use that second lane as well, uh, and there just isn't a lot of room for that. So yeah, it's it's pretty simple stuff to, once you figure it out. But it requires you to think and it requires you to be planning ahead, especially in those doubles. I see people crossing those all the time, and it's. Just, I mean, what can you do? I mean, you're sitting there, you're in it, the next thing, you know. The person cuts off right in front of you, um, but yeah, I don't know if we need this new bill. I do know that it. You should use your signal to to get there. I'm not sure if we should be penalizing people until we get better education. I know they're starting to teach roundabouts uh, a lot more in driver's ed right now, uh, but uh, Tommy didn't get it, and that was only a couple of years yeah. ago. We had to teach him. Maybe you should just
0: go to when when they build a new one go there during a dead time and practice
1: it's not a bad idea yeah i mean that's you know just get yourself familiar with them i know this is a popular thing in europe they're way ahead of us in being able to use these and understand them uh, but for those of us that took drivers ed 30 years and 40 geez, I don't oh well 45 years ago i don't know how old i am uh, yeah it's a, it's it's kind of new to us but yeah once you think about it it's not too difficult to figure it out
0: what about the idea of police using red light cameras to catch criminals? That's one of the things being discussed in Olympia. Also, an update on the search for another major regional airport. Let's go to Cairo News Radio's Matt Markovich. Good morning, Matt. Good morning,
3: Dave. Remember the days when they talked about these red light cameras? Yes. And they said, those are just safety cameras. You know, we're not going to do anything else other than make sure you don't run a red light. Well... It was bound to happen, some said, and now it's happening. Uh, there's a bill now that would allow any electronic image collected like a red light camera or from a toll booth as you cross over the Tacoma Narrows Bridge or the 520 Bridge. Those cameras can now be available to law enforcement pursuant to a lawfully issued search warrant. And a Democratic uh, Senator Patty Kruegerer is the bill's primary sponsor.
7: We allow images from high resolution red light cameras to be used to defend against a traffic ticket but we don't allow it to be used to help solve violent crime. And that makes no sense to me.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, so police can't just randomly go to these places and look at videos and look for a crime. They have to know what something's going on and get a search warrant from a judge. And that's the difference from this bill that was presented last year. It's been toughened up to get this search warrant. Now, Kelly, Kelly Busey is the police chief of Gig Harbor.
4: I've overseen serious
2: uh, criminal investigations, which could have been more easily solved, include a multiple homicide case, which has been hampered by the inability to obtain this information.
3: So that's why had law enforcement testifying, in, obviously, in favor of this bill. They would love to have this ability to do that. Mm-hmm. But Republican Senator Mike Patton says it's basically a broken promise to the voters.
4: There was never going to be any use of this when the original legislation passed. There's kind of a solemn commitment. And I realize that's a long time ago. And OK, the warrant does offer protection. But are we then going to go later to no warrant?
0: So, seriously, a law and order Republicans are against this?
3: Well, that law and <laughs> order Republican, I, I found that strange too, Dave, uh, believe it or not. Um, yeah, it's a democrat, democrat uh, democratically-led bill. Um, you know, I looked it up. Uh, we've had this law in effect for 16 years that mm-hmm. uh, you can have traffic cameras. And, you know, they were never going to be moneymakers, but they have been for cities. Uh, and now the... This bill, again, this is the second time it's been tried, so we'll see now that they have this search warrant aspect to it uh, whether this will make it all the way to the finish line.
0: Yeah, I mean, your cell phone is private too, but if you can use it to track down a crook or to, or to find somebody who, you know, drove off the road and is stuck in their car, it just seems absurd to say, well, we promised a year ago, so we'll just let somebody die. That doesn't make any sense to me.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's like every tool that law enforcement wants. What came up was actually the cell phone in the testimony as well as bank accounts. You know, you can track people and their spending. Uh, So why can't we just use something that's readily available, easy to get to, and could actually help out uh, uh, law enforcement?
0: Well, what do you think? What does your spidey sense say? Will this get bipartisan support?
3: I don't know. I I think there is that promise to the people that these were always going to be safety cameras and it's always been now they can use the cameras for like finding a missing child so there's Mm -hmm. there's there has been little exceptions for these cameras in specific instances but not in a general sense where they're looking for a bad guy who happened to be walking through or even drug drug dealing happening at a corner they have to know that they have a specific guy they're looking for was at this corner at this time so that's what we're protecting
0: we're protecting criminal and drug dealers. This, well, that's yeah, what this well, is protecting.
3: But, but, in, but in a sense, what what really is, is that the, it's changing the law about the courts, because mm-hmm. you could not use this in any court case. This is the big deal, is that now you can use it in a court case.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like like I say, I, I don't see... say
3: criminal court case. Yes.
0: I don't see why that's controversial. We're using due process to change it. We changed our minds. At one point, we promised. Now we've decided there's too many dangerous people out there to keep that promise. And if the legislature approves it, I don't I don't see a problem with that.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's talk move airports, on, if you will. Yeah. Airports. Okay. No, so, um, you know, we we heard all those uh, ranklings from the uh, neighbors in eastern Pierce County there when they got tagged for possibly having a regional airport that would be an alternative to SeaTac and Boeing Field. The, the, so they had set up this committee. They spent $400,000 on this committee to come up with a possible sites. And you know what? People got upset. Uh, turns out uh, the representative Jake Fay who uh, supervises the transportation committee and um, he just didn't like it so guess what he's proposing a new Committee, a new work group to basically study the same thing. Here's some clips of my exchange with Representative Jake Fay, who's proposing this new work group. Did you believe that the previous work group was a failure?
2: Uh, I think failure is a, st- <laughs> a strong word. I think the assignment to them was not well thought through.
3: Now, he says his new committee will have different goals. Uh, here's some more of my exchange. Would those areas be excluded now, given the pushback that you saw? The
2: Siding Airport would be in conflict with the operation at Lewis McCord, yes.
3: Wasn't the Lewis McCord exclusion there in the previous round?
2: Well, yes. I don't think there was sufficient outreach to the military base about how this would work. And that was kind of a late developing thing after the sites were announced, as opposed to investigated. Before the sites were announced.
3: So he's going to spend more money on this 19 person work group where they basically have the same criteria to look for an airport. Um, he's basically saying we didn't reach out to Lewis McCord, better to the neighbors. So this group would include a lot of different stakeholders and would have some sort of report back by the uh, first of next year. But it's not going to say, hey, we want to put it right here or there. And also, there's a development
0: on the homelessness issue that you talked with Representative Fay about.
3: That's right. You know, now we've been talking about this controversy uh, about the, what happened uh, last week when uh, Mark Dones, who's the CEO of the Regional Homelessness Authority, made a statement saying that they cannot put people along the highways into transitional or shelter space because of a contract with the state. Uh, so, Representative Jake Fay, again, he runs the chairman of the House Transportation Committee, and everything that has to deal with highways must go through his committee.
2: And here's what he had to say when I asked him about it. They have to be able to offer it for housing to people. My, my perspective was it didn't have to be permanent. You just couldn't ask for somebody to leave without a place to go. From my perspective, I would say a shelter would be a place to go. I see.
0: So the Homelessness Authority is reading the, l- the legislature, reading the requirement
3: in the wrong way? Correct. So what what they're actually saying, I looked at the bill. It's 872 pages, Dave. Mm -hmm. On page 106, it says that the department, meaning the uh, Transportation Commerce Department, must focus on applicants that, quote, prioritize permanent housing solutions, unquote. And the uh, CEO is hanging his comments on that one line. He does not like transitional housing. He's made no bones. Well, that's too bad.
0: It says prioritize. It doesn't say must be permanent housing.
3: That's correct. You're absolutely correct. So, according to, uh, I reached out to the homeless authority late yesterday. They told me they're going to get back to me with an update to clarify the situation. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome.
5: Time for your daily dose of kindness. It's brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. Thousands of volunteers across the world are completing unfinished knitting projects. The group is called Loose Ends. It was founded this past summer by Maisie Kaplan and her longtime friend and fellow knitter, Jen Simonik after they were both asked to finish projects by friends who had lost loved ones. I had a wonderful meeting with the person that I did a project for this summer. It was a project that her mother had started and couldn't finish. It's very rewarding, and like Macy said, there's a lot of crying. (laughs) Loose Ends has grown now to more than 1,000 volunteers in 19 countries and all but two states, all in search of the satisfaction of delivering a part of someone who's gone to their loved ones. By finishing it, they would be able to wear
4: that person's love on them, basically. And after we had each done a number of projects,
5: it occurred to us that there was an opportunity to let other people express that kind of generosity to each other. Maisie Kaplan says the work is very meaningful. It's like they're getting a a piece of their loved one back to them. So it's very moving. We get a lot of really touching and beautiful stories. Kaplan hopes the word can continue to spread about loose ends and that the legacies of those who leave projects behind can be finished one stitch at a time. 7.49
0: 7:49 now from the Gene Ursula show, which starts at nine on Cairo News Radio. It's time
6: to say Happy Valentine's Day to G Scott. It's the worst holiday of the year. The worst, Coll- holiday, the of the year? worst holiday of the year, Colleen. It is so one-sided. I have, you know, what I've been doing all morning? What I've been putting together a list, and I'm and I'm going to do it all throughout the entire Gene Ursula show, and it's going to be. What things not to do on Valentine's Day? (laughs) I can't stand this holiday coming.
5: I don't understand why. I mean, if it's one-sided, then tell your special somebody that you'd like to be treated better, I guess. You know, I told, I shared this with you that like for me, Valentine's Day, once I had kids, it became more about making them feel special and loved on this day. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing better. Just like on Christmas morning or whatever birthdays when you see your kids' faces light up and they know they've been treated special. They feel loved. You send them on their way. So I left out little baskets. I make heart confetti for them. And I don't know. To me, it brought the joy back to Valentine's Day, but I do agree. You know, sometimes when you're in a relationship, it does feel like a chore to think of, something else to make them feel loved because you're doing it every day right? it
6: is a lose lose holiday for the men <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is this is lose, lose watch this colleen you ready watch this what would you think hey, lillian d- man <laughs> okay what I, I i can't i can't say you know what I mean? Like we're on the radio. Like people listen to the show. Big surprise. Yeah, people listen to the show. Yeah. Hey, real quick, Dave Ross. Yes. In all of your years of being on this earth, yes. I want you to tell me about the best Valentine's Day gift that you've ever received. That I've ever received. Uh huh. Usually it's,
0: it, uh, it's hard to do, do you? Uh, some sort of candy sometimes, but
6: not often. You see that, Colleen? Yeah. <laughs> you,
5: you, you, I no. just remember the stress <laughs> growing up during like Valentine's parties <laughs> and wondering, like, now they make sure that you bring enough for everybody, but back when I was going to school, you weren't required to give everybody a valentine, and sometimes you only got five, you and wait. sometimes mm. you got 30. and yeah. Then there was that stress too. I don't know if guys went through this, but as, as a girl, I was like, well, I don't want to send the wrong mess to this boy, so I got to give him like a very generic, like, hey, pal, <laughs> Valentine, yeah. you know, and then your crush, you give them the special one with candy. <laughs>
6: well, the Jane Arson show was working on the 10 things not to do on Valentine's Day. I was uh, out there. Of course, I should be preparing for the show. But there's a, not, a lot of news, but this is the things that I go through in my mind. Uh, number one, don't text your ex. That's a good idea. Hey, sometimes you gotta say these things out loud. Number, oh. number two, if you if you don't have a reservation by now, don't yeah. try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, don't give your significant other a gym membership. Fair. <laughs> what? Who's done that, Colleen? You know what Unless I
5: mean.
0: Unless they want one. Here's Next thing you'll say, others. don't oh, give okay. them a vacuum cleaner. Okay. Either,
6: In on. honor of our colleague Heather Bosch, she helped me come up with this next one. Let's just say you want to give and get your significant other an auto detail for the vehicle. That's mm-hmm. a good gift, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, uh-huh. I'm going to get the vehicle clean. Here's what you don't do. You don't give them in a card a certificate of an auto detail shop and yeah. then make them have to go and schedule and make them have to go and wait and all that stuff. Correct. Just get the vehicle detailed. Yeah. Don't, don't do this gift certificate to an auto detail shop because that is work for them. Fair,
5: Colleen? It's precisely why I don't enjoy getting flowers, because to me, flowers just turn to rotted swamp water and create more work for me. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Now yeah. we can't get flowers?
5: Well, well you I See, flowers if, are if the one thing that I
0: would probably do. I don't speak for all do. women.
5: I speak for myself. So if your significant other likes flowers, if your husband or boyfriend <laughs> likes flowers,
6: do it. The for me, throw my them my out Before can, they rot. Can I, 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 <laughs> it happens so fast. I, I probably shouldn't speak for all men. But I'm going to anyways. Ladies, we don't like flowers and candy as much as we pretend to, okay? (laughs) We just don't. My
5: husband loves chocolate. I get him chocolates. (laughs) Oh, okay. So
6: so there's there's $21 billion spent on Valentine's Day in the United States of America on this day. And you mean to tell me I'm going to get some chocolate. I asked Dave Ross, the man has been married for 40 plus years. Yes. I asked him, what was his best Valentine's Day gift? And for the first time ever, I heard Dave Ross answer with, um, uh, oh, yeah.
0: just, it's, we, we just sort of hug each other. Yeah. But we do that anyway. G. Scott at 9 o'clock. Thank you, G. And it's a Tuesday morning. And so, Valentine's Day or not, we go to Washington D.C. and New York Times investigative reporter David Farenthold. And I figured, since your your beat is sort of bird dogging charities, we could ask you about the story that came out about Russell Wilson's charity. Yeah. Of course, uh, we're a little down on uh, Russ these days, but nobody was questioning that you know his charity was uh, a good thing. And yet, this uh, the Why Not You Foundation? A USA Today investigation found that less than forty cents for every dollar. Uh, that it raises goes to the actual beneficiaries of the charity, and the rest is uh, administration. And in some places, it was um, as low as 21 cents going to uh, the charity. So uh, as somebody who who watched dogs, these things, uh, where do you come down on this?
2: Well, it was surprising to me. I mean, this is a problem with celebrity charities in general. Celebrities, for whatever reason, don't want to just link up to an established charity that already has an administration set up and just raise money for somebody else. They want to start their own foundation, and sometimes that does mean that they are bad at it or that they have really high administrative expenses. In this case, it sounds like it was supposed to just mostly be a pass-through for other charities. It wasn't supposed to do a lot of work on its own, which would account for high administrative costs. It, like it was supposed to mostly pass money through, which makes it even worse that the money wasn't making it through. Now, what Russell Wilson's people have said is that, well, you're looking at figures from during the pandemic when a lot of events had been canceled, and programming was shut down, and that is a good point. A lot of charities' uh, operations were distorted during the pandemic, but it's certainly worth keeping an eye on in the future because this is charity, celebrities set up charities like this, and it gives them this sort of noble cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then nobody checks to see if the charity is actually doing what they say.
0: Yeah. Is there is there a tax advantage here somewhere that uh, that makes celebrities want to set up these charities where otherwise they would not?
2: In some cases, yeah, they could put, you know, they can, you know, give money to this charity or they can, in, you know, in very nefarious cases. They can use the charity to cover their own personal expenses to pay for things they would have paid for anyway. Uh, and to try to get a charitable deduction off of it. I think in more cases, it's usually done as a way of just burnishing their reputation, making them look good, giving them a reason to host a golf tournament, you know, and sort mm-hmm. of go to events. You know, if you ever go to watch an NFL game, often you see these, like uh, in the end zone, these sort of banners hanging up for every player's personal charity just such a horrible idea. I wish they would never do that because you know, that means every one of those charities has to pay an administrative staff and it eats up the money that they would be giving. Just link up with a charity that's already doing it yeah. you know there's no reason you need to reinvent the wheel
0: well it's true i mean you, you if you have a lot of money, you have to figure out how to give it away that requires us i mean we have two giant buildings for the gates foundation just down the street here full of people who were there giving away money and they have to be paid too so i guess that just comes with the uh the territory so uh politics nikki haley has announced that she's running against donald trump and she uh she unleashed this uh this political ad where i wrote the line down here when you kick back it hurts more when you're wearing heels so, so she's running on a a tough guy approach. <laughs> what exactly is her theme?
2: Well, I, from what I can tell, it's sort of a new generation of Republican leaders. You know, she's trying to, I think, a little bit like DeSantis, to run against Trump without saying you're running against Trump. To talk about how it's turned the page, turned to a new leader, and to sort of emulate some of Trump's, you know, rhetorical approach. You know, this sort of you know tough guy, like you said, approach, and you know, his policy positions. And and I think the hope is that maybe Trump will just fade away and not challenge them for that wing of the party. I think that's unlikely, especially for somebody like Haley, whose more recent identity has all been sort of, you know, in Trump's shadow. She's been sort of sucking up to Trump and defending Trump and working for Trump. I I don't know how it's going to work, especially because she doesn't seem like she wants to take on Trump directly. Hmm. Um, So, I mean, even DeSantis has gotten a lot of fire from Trump and Trump hasn't even gotten, DeSantis hasn't even gotten in the race yet. So I think ignoring Trump, we saw in 2016 doesn't work very well, but she seems to be trying it.
0: Now, what, what is Trump doing? I, I bet I haven't been on Twitter lately, I guess. I don't know if he's back on there or not. I've never signed up for Truth Social. Uh, <laughs> but have there been any uh, uh, rallies or any indication no. that the magic is still there?
2: No, he's not really doing anything. This is like, a, I think we said this earlier, like an 1800 style front porch campaign. He's, mm. he's just sort of hanging around Mar-a-Lago and sending out tweets. The, the main Sort of evidence you can see that he's still running for president is he's attacking DeSantis. He sees DeSantis, I think properly, as his biggest threat to the Republican nomination, and so he's lobbing all kinds of, you know, sort of nefarious and dirty allegations against DeSantis. Um, I don't know if it's working or not, but that seems to be the extent of the campaigning he's doing is on, you know, using his thumbs on Twitter.
0: How's his fundraising going?
2: He's raising a lot of money compared to other people, but not the kind of money that he used to. Um, and partly that's because he's not really doing anything. Like You don't see him in the news. You don't see him at rallies. Mm-hmm. He's basically just sort of sitting what around. What about the NFTs that
0: he was selling, the superhero, you know, uh, digital watermark uh, collectibles?
2: Oh, God. I mean, I, I really hope just for the sake of America that not many people bought paid like $100 for a, a, a literally a digital picture of Donald Trump, a cartoon of Donald Trump. But if he did, that money didn't go to his campaign. It went to him personally.
0: I see. Well, I mean, you know, he he is beloved by many. Uh, Let's see. It's
2: something you can hang on your wall, that's
0: what I'm saying. Well, you have to print it out first, but, I mean, you could hang it on your wall. Uh, The Democrats have have, uh, changed the primary calendar. They want to put, uh, what is it, South Carolina first? Mm -hmm. Isn't there a law in New Hampshire saying that no matter what happens, even if the comet hits, New Hampshire's primary has to come before anybody else's.
2: Yes, but I. There is a, New Hampshire is. That is the thing that matters maybe more than anything to them. Uh, but I think that is, you know, they need the DNC to cooperate, right? They can have an election if they want, but the DNC has to sanction it. And so the DNC says, hey, we're not going to you know, you can have your primary, you can have an election, but we're not going to treat it as a primary. I see. Uh, I think they could tell them no. I mean, D.C., for instance, tried, well, we have a lot less power than New Hampshire. We tried to put ours first in the calendar, and the D.N.C. punished us by moving it to the last of the calendar. There was sort of nothing we could do about it.
0: Huh. So, in other words, New Hampshire could still hold a primary and the and Democrats could could choose, I guess, to boycott it. But I think that the, the uh, point that the governor was making was, why would you give up all that free publicity by not going to New Hampshire?
2: Because uh, Joe Biden didn't win New Hampshire. Um, I think that's the you know the, what they're doing here. They're saying, well, we want to make this a more diverse and represent. You know, to go after sort of bigger states, uh, which you know that that is true. New Hampshire is a tiny, very white state. Um, But these are also things where Joe Biden has done very poorly. And so Ah. I think he sees no reason to, you know, if he's going to face any sort of primary fight, to reorient, you know, to to keep it in the same calendar that it's hurt him before.
0: All right. David Farenthold, New York Times. David, thank you very much. Thank you. 849 Seattle's Morning News. The CDC has been collecting data on the health of young people, their health, well-being and mental health now for like 30 years and this latest survey, which was back in uh, 2021, had some of the most troubling results they've ever seen. Let's go to Kyrie News Radio's Mickey Gomez. What did you think about these numbers?
7: I was devastated when I read them. I'm a mom to a girl, and she's vibrant and beautiful. She's a leader. Uh, she's very stubborn like me. But it shook me to my core when I read this article about the CDC uh, reporting that we should be worried about our girls right now. Um, It says, our teenage girls are suffering through an overwhelming wave of violence and trauma, and it's affecting their mental health. Uh, Nearly three in five teen girls, 57 percent, said they felt persistently sad or hopeless. And that is the highest rate in a decade, according to uh, this study. Uh, 30 percent said they had seriously considered dying by taking their own lives. And a percentage, uh, that's a percentage that's risen by nearly 60 percent over the last 10 years. Mm. Yeah. So
5: I, it's uh, sad, I, I with you, Mickey. Mm-hmm. Here I am remotely um, and I'm with you on that uh, being the mother of, of two girls. And of course the the report does mention teen boys as well. Yes. Um, but the, the overwhelming majority of this, this sadness and hopelessness and suicidal ideation coming from teen girls. And it's so easy to start pointing fingers and calling for systematic changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not hopeful that systematic changes are coming. It's hard enough for adults to find therapy, mm-hmm. uh, let alone behavioral help for young girls and and teens and so for me it's it's about working systems day in and day out uh to keep those you know happy hormones higher taking mental health walks dancing uh whatever brings you joy you have to grab onto it and and reduce the the amount of time you spend on the internet
7: this is true but i will also believe that it starts at home that's what i'm saying a- absolutely yes it, it starts at home and um it If you are a parent to a daughter... You really need to have these hard and difficult conversations. And if you don't know where to go, I mean, you can YouTube, you can you can find, uh, you know, websites out there that will help you uh, break the ice so that way you can have these discussions with your children. Um, I did sit down with my daughter last night and I let her know, hey, uh, I love you, but I know it's more than love. I know my love w- wouldn't take away her sadness or or whatever it is she could be experienced uh, or experiencing. And um, she told me she was fine. And that she doesn't have any of those feelings. Um, But we are... I'm just concerned. I'm concerned for girls, period. Yeah. And I know
5: there's a lot... You know, I just said spend less time on the Internet. I just... I find myself getting depressed every morning when i look at twitter so mm-hmm. i've had to really limit my time on twitter it's it's not a healthy place if you do struggle with depressive episodes or suicidal ideation it's it's not a great place to be i can only imagine the pressures of social media for parents though i have found a number of you know you'll call them doctor influencers but really uh, powerful adults who are taking their knowledge and putting it on platforms like instagram which are known to be a little bit more mental health friendly um because of the positive content put out there. And if you can't find a website or a, a professional in your community, there are wonderful doctors on Instagram mm-hmm. who will just have a conversation and say, hey, I struggled with my kid, you know, very relatable things. Here's here's what I suggest you try next time. And I thought, oh, I have never knew that. I'm going to try that. And a lot of great tips out there. So if you're a parent of a teen feeling helpless and you don't know what to do or you don't understand depression, which is very common too, a lot of people like, well, just you know be happy here's a gift doesn't it make you happy it's 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 not like that um, there's some help online
7: yeah there really Instagram. is there yeah. is my uh, my son does go to a therapy he's 14 years old and mm-hmm. he does he does naturally suffer from depression mm-hmm. and anxiety and we were a little hesitant to get him started on medication uh, however we have noticed the biggest change in him since he has started treatment and so um, we remind him every day hey did you take did you take your meds let's yeah. and then he also um, he has a wonderful therapy And they do a lot of VR therapy. So virtual reality therapy is, is something that's new oh. and it's helping him. With the goggles, you mean? Yes, with the goggles. Wow. Yes, yes. He and his therapist, uh, get connected on the VR awesome. and, uh, and they're able to go ahead and work through scenarios, like real life scenarios. And I guess, you know, they're like, okay, you know, Javi, how would you handle this situation? And so he go, he, they, they go ahead and they act out the scenario. And so I've noticed a big change in my son's attitude, in being more Vibrant and being more, instead of always being so eor, which is which you know he was, you know now he's he's more. Uh, vi- vi- vivacious and that makes us very happy but this study also says that at least 52% of teenagers who identified as gay, lesbian, bisexual or questioning said that they do struggle with mental health and I do remember the coming out process when I was a little girl and I was depressed, I was scared so it, it, again if you have a teenage daughter, if you have a teenager if you have a child, make sure you're checking in, make sure you're having those conversations and let them speak.
0: Mickey Gomez Thank you Mickey This is Seattle's Morning News, Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. As part of our ongoing campaign to help all of you stay as healthy as possible, let's talk about your eyes. Like you're looking at a computer screen and suddenly a line that you know to be straight starts bending or portions of your vision feel like there's mud on the windshield. Uh, it's usually associated with us old people, but it can happen to people in their 40s as well. So we've called in Dr. Philip Ferrone who is the president of the American Society of Retina Specialists. And have you noticed an increase in, in eye problems like this among young people?
4: Well, there's just an increase overall. You know, if we look at the number of Americans affected by age-related macular degeneration, it's about 11 million, and by 2050, it's expected to double. So, it's becoming more prevalent, you know, as we live longer, and yeah, on certain patients, there can be earlier onset age-related macular degeneration is a leading cause of blindness in people 60 years old and older, but it can affect you as young as 45 or 50.
0: And so you're urging people to get more regular screenings. Is that, is that considered part of uh, an annual checkup these days?
4: It's, uh, that's a great question. It depends on how you define screening and how you define an annual checkup. For a lot of people, they have the belief that uh, an eye exam is just getting checked for glasses and getting the pressure in your eye checked, uh, either with that blue light or a puff of air. And, uh, that's part of the eye exam, but it's not a complete eye exam. A complete eye exam includes dilating the pupil with drops and getting a thorough examination of the back of the eye of the retina that's what people need to do
0: i've been through that it's uh it's kind of a challenging process it can be very uncomfortable but i understand they want to get a at least a a baseline when you're young so if the things change when you're older they can catch it early
4: that's true and uh, it's not just when you're young you know when you're 40 or 50 to get another examination to get a, a baseline for your later years is also recommended
0: now what are the things to to look i mean we use
4: our eyes all the time what do you look for as an early sign that you well so this is important to realize so i think and this is something i I think a lot of people don't realize uh for most of us we know that our body as we get older undergoes wear and tear and you know we might have pain in our knees or back or shoulders and and we feel that wear and tear but in the back of the eye in the retina there are no pain receptors so you can have wear and tear going on back there and damage and you have no uh, symptom that you associate with a problem, but symptoms that can uh, alert you to a problem are, as you said earlier, like a wavy line uh, that you see that you know it should be straight, or distortion in your vision in a picture, or pieces of the picture are missing, rich colors or decreased in in uh, contrast and, and vividness. So those are all symptoms of a retinal issue. And if you have a retinal issue, you need a dilated exam and. Often we do other imaging as well to pick up very early changes in the retina.
0: Can these things be fixed? The eye is so delicate. Everything in there is so tiny. Can it be fixed?
4: Yeah, it's true. It's a great. It's a great organ. You know, it's it's fantastic how it. Uh, how, how we see. And the, they can be fixed. The retina is very fragile, as you know. It's basically has a consistency of wet tissue paper and it has blood vessels in it. And it's, it's layered like a club sandwich. And the bottom layer is the photoreceptors. And then it has all this neural network in there. But basically, so it's very fragile. And we have great drugs that can treat wet macular degeneration. And we have other um, procedures that can treat other diseases of the retina. So yes, it can be fixed. And in most cases, the earlier you treat it, the better. You know, prompt attention. Like if you have some of these symptoms we talked about, don't just think that, oh, I need to get my glasses changed or I need whatever it might be, you know, it's not urgent. This is an urgent issue where you want to get checked if you have some of these symptoms and get checked, you know, within a few days, ideally.
0: Okay. So mention more of this. So you mentioned the, the, uh, the wavy lines. I mean, sometimes people will see, uh, sparkles, loss of contrast. What else do you look out for?
4: Yeah. So sparkles are a little different. Sparkles are usually associated with the gel in your eye separating as you get older, uh, which normally happens around 60 years old, give or take 10 years typically. And if you see the sparkles, you definitely want to get your retina examined. That's, a a slightly different exam, but it's still part of the full retinal exam. And that would be to rule out retinal tears and retinal detachment. If you have central distortion or changes in what you're seeing, like there are little blind spots or decreased color, as we said, that has more to do with the central vision. And that's when you want to get a dilated exam as well. And then other uh, examination with, let's say, an OCT machine to look for very subtle early changes in the macula in the central uh, region of the retina.
0: And what's the state of the art these days? My understanding is that those, as you pointed out, it's a very delicate organ. And one- Once those vision cells die, they don't regenerate. You can't replace them.
4: That's right. They're basically like brain cells or spinal cord cells, uh, part of the central nervous system. They don't regenerate uh, well. I mean, in certain instances, they can regenerate a little bit. But in the most cases, for age-related macular degeneration, they don't really regenerate well. And that's part of the problem uh, and why early treatment is so helpful.
0: So then that's the takeaway here. If you see any of these signs, uh, take it seriously and get get examined early
4: absolutely and with a dilated eye exam and know where you stand and if you have something going on you know prompt treatment is is the best path
0: dr philip Ferrone, president of the american society of retina specialists thank you i'm dave ross
5: and i'm colleen o'brien thanks for listening to seattle's morning news
0: you can hear us live every morning on 97.3 fm or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show